we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Everybody and welcome to another exciting episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence, the Woo! podcast where we watch movies and then discuss the finer things like how many people were killed and how much uh, nudity would we see in the movie. Yes, um, very fine, very yes, fine indeed. Mm-hmm. Mm, what, yes. a, what a nice cup of nudity ah, we have ah, here today. Yes, uh, a very good mouth feel. Mm-hmm. What year is this nudity? Oh, yes. Good year, good, good year. Good year, good year. All right, well, my name is Orlando and joining me as you usual is my guest roommate and co-host Ned say hi Ned hi Ned how are you ah uh, you know you know I'm doing I'm surviving I'm here I'm ready let's get schlocky let's get schlocky mm. tonight we're watching the warrior and the sorceress mm. a 1984 Argentine American fantasy action film directed by John C Broderick and starring David Carradine Maria Sokas and Luke Askew. Have you ever seen this movie, Ned? I have not. Now, we have been watching, you know, some horror recently, uh, and this is the first time that we're watching a fantasy film. Would you say that you are a fan of generally of fantasy movies? Sword uh, and sorcery, dragons, magic, stuff like that? Yeah, overall, yeah, fantasy is definitely in my wheelhouse, yeah. I would say. Um, I I don't necessarily... The thing about fantasy for me is I associate it a lot with fantasy literature, mm. and I will say that I'm not the most bookish person, so mm-hmm. sometimes I fear to be called out as... You know, you're not a real a, nerd. Yeah, nerd. something something of a filthy <laughs> casual because there are obviously just so many There's different a lot. different books There's and worlds lot. that one can get into. But um, but I love me some Game of Thrones. I love me some Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, anything that can be described as fantasy, I'm into it. The 1980s, of course, were 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 known as. Like this, I, I guess I wouldn't call it a golden age because m- most of the movies weren't good quality. But there were a lot of fantasy movies made in the eighties. Was it like a response to a particular film that they were like trying to kind of cash in on? Something well, or? obviously the thing that kicked it off were the Star Wars movies. Okay, nineteen seventy seven. The Star Wars movies are are you know they're science space movies. Yes, yes, yeah, science fantasy. They yeah. more. I think they 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 are more. They, they, they reside in the realm of fantasy more than they do science fiction, personally. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, and Empire Strikes Back, I think, is one of the greatest fantasy movies ever made. Yeah. Um, so I think in response to that, and also um, in the... Uh, they, Conan the Barbarian was released in the early 80s. Yeah. And that kicked off a whole trend of people just trying to cash in on the sword and sorcery genre. Okay. And this movie is a direct... Uh, Result of that, this is I think would would fall in the sword and sorcery. So, do you know a lot about the subgenres of fantasy, or or no? Uh, yeah, exactly. That's the, that's where my <laughs> knowledge kind of starts to fall apart. Um, and I will also say, I I actually have never seen Conan the Barbarian, believe it or not. Hey, that's so. a good one, also for a future yes. fo- podcast. There's a lot of gratuitous sex and, and, and violence in that one. Nice. Um, nice. So basically, the the two big subdivisions are high fantasy and low fantasy. High fantasy. Okay. High fantasy is basically, you know, made up realms at, uh, and it has a lot of fantastical creatures and magic, stuff like that. Like Lord of the Rings, for example, would fall into yeah. that. I would say that Star Wars is also would be a high fantasy, okay. technically. Um, low fantasy is stuff that that resides in a more believable realm. There can still be magic and stuff like that, but it's not as fantastical as in high fantasy. And there's usually like not as many dragons and stuff like that it's mostly about like warriors going around and uh and basically like being like the knight errant like a medieval knight you know or or like a cowboy movie being a gunslinger like those types of stories but set in a different world that's that's slightly different from our own so 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 even in low fantasy it is still a different world they're usually not set necessarily within It's a our... different world, quote-unquote. Not yeah. necessarily a different planet. Okay. But, like, for example, the Conan the Barbarian movies, they could very well be set in 
in Europe, like in, in the yeah. Germanic, you know, barbarian lands pre-Middle Ages. Yeah. But, um, but they also kind of reside in this quasi-fantastical world. Yeah. And, and this movie that we're going to watch today, I would say also is, is, is part of that tradition of a sword and, and sorcery rather than... It's not a high fantasy. This is more of a low fantasy. Okay. Interesting. Another interesting tidbit about this movie is that it's, uh, a, an, ad, it's an adaptation of uh, Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo. Have you ever seen Yojimbo? I actually haven't. No. It's a great movie. Uh, and it tells the story of a samurai who arrives into this village that is torn apart by two rivaling warring um, factions and he basically plays them against each other and keeps switching alliances and stuff like that. Um, Yojimbo was also adapted by Sergio Leone as a spaghetti western called A Fistful of Dollars, which starred uh, Clint Eastwood. Nice. So keep in mind that when we watch this, you know, like th- this is this is that type of movie. This is like David Carradine is is embodying a Clint Eastwood type character in this new fantasy-esque setting, okay? And this movie is available to stream for free if you have Amazon Prime. It's also available to rent if you don't have Prime. It's $2.99, which isn't bad, three bucks, to watch schlocky fantasy. Yeah. So, um, are you ready to watch this movie, Ned? Yeah, I am. All right, let's get down to it. Let's watch The Warrior and the Sorceress, and then we'll be back in a second, and we'll play some trivia and discuss the movie. We'll see you on the other side, guys. See ya. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just just watched The Warrior and The Sorceress. Yeah, both of them. Both The Warrior and The Sorceress. Together at last. Yes, we, yes. It was, it was long overdue. First reactions, what do you think? Longest really short movie that I've seen. Super short movie. Like, yeah, yeah, like not even an hour 20. And, uh, but man, ugh. It definitely feels longer than than an hour yeah well it's just like it's interesting that they they have all the trappings of a very dire fantasy world Mm -hmm. with very intense class stratification and uh, you know warring factions and slavery Mm -hmm. and not a single woman with her bosoms covered like they're just like you know there's there's a lot going on in this and a lot of fighting obviously Mm -hmm. including a holy warrior and yet this movie just drags and really never has a moment of urgency it's very superficial yeah it just all kind of puts all the trappings mm-hmm. out there and moves the story forward but th- nobody it, it doesn't feel like anybody wants to be there there's like no you, world building yeah like they there's do no character depth yeah yeah there's, there's no, no real arcs anywhere yeah no nothing develops nothing really changes like just a bunch of plot points strung together yeah pretty much i mean it's interesting because i'm thinking about when we watched the movie uh, I am actually thinking quite a bit about when we watched the movie uh, King Solomon's Mind, uh-huh. which obviously was very incoherent in its own yeah. ways. Um, and this movie, by contrast, has has a pretty solid structure mm-hmm. in terms of what happens. Yeah, well, it steals it from but, Akira but, Kurosawa, so... Well, exactly, <laughs> and that's the thing, that I think this movie clearly owes a lot to the fact that it's already it's it's kind of just grafting what little it has to offer mm-hmm. onto this kind of solid story structure because at least King Solomon's minds it was all over the place right. and defensive but it at least had this kind of urgency and drive to yeah. it that kind of did propel you mm-hmm. through the story mm-hmm. and there really is none of that there's nothing about this movie that makes you want to root for anyone anyone in in the entire situation yeah this um, was not a yeah king solomon's fun, minds is, is a fun movie this is not really a fun movie no not not at all yeah this one was a tough one all right so let's play some trivia before we go on yeah yeah some let's, trivia 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of, oh, I have a hard time imagining what can even be asked about this movie. <laughs> it was very hard to form the trivia for this because there was literally like no details in this movie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a detail-free movie. It's just, so, it's all there in the surface. So I don't, so yeah, I, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what I, I picked up. All right. So as always, uh, this is going to be for bragging rights. Yeah, we'll see. And I've, got a, I've got a nice pile of bragging rights. You do. You've been so, doing pretty well. Pretty so well. We'll see, yeah. Um, so it's going to be five questions and a bonus, and the okay. questions are ordered from least to most difficult. So are you ready for question number one? I'm ready. All right. Question number one is, what does Zeg want Naja to make him? Uh, he wants he wants her to make him the, the holy sword of Ur? Is that what it's called? Close. Ura? Ura. I'll give it to you. Ura. Ura, Ura. Ura, but it's, yeah, Ura, yeah, yeah. you got it. I was spelling it yeah. clearly, phonetically. Yeah. Because yeah. apparently, <laughs> uh, you don't really get this from the movie, I don't think, but apparently the name of the planet that this takes place in is Ur or Ur, something like that. Ah, okay. And so the sword is called the Sword of Ura. Ah, okay. Which I can okay. only imagine is the uh, feminine side of the planet here. I don't know. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't well, know what's happening there. Yeah. Again, again, just to kind of carry on with my with my initial complaint, it's just like I had a hard time even like holding on to names in this movie. Like yeah, just because they all just kind of talk about each other in yes, the same. Your name is Blitz Blah Blah, and and the names are already pretty unimpressive fantasy names to begin with. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the the whole thing about a holy sword is like it's a well established trope already. But yeah. they, this movie doesn't really ha- play, have any fun with that at all. It's just yeah. it's just there. It's just a plot point. Yeah. Um, and then we'll I mean we'll talk more about nausea. <laughs> yeah, we will a little bit later. But first, so here comes uh, question number two. Are you ready for question number two, Ned? Yes. All right. Question number two. What's the name of the creature that guards nausea? The name of the creature that guards nausea is the protector. The Protector! Which is, you know, very <laughs> evocative of the huh. of this of this of this creature that's just a bunch of tentacles on the floor and a mouth. Yeah. I don't know. Protects. I don't know. Yeah, and, and it protects. I don't know. I wouldn't call the creature like that the protector, but yeah. again, it's another unimaginative choice in the list of many unimaginative yeah. choices yeah. in this movie. The protector, yeah. <laughs> They yeah. call me the protector. I, I may, I may need to circle back to that one because I still even haven't fully processed. Like, what yeah, was up just, with that? Yeah, like, yeah, just, just between like the setup of like them walking to that door mm-hmm. and him being like the protectors in there, and then finally the reveal of what it is, and I was just like, what? yeah, all, and all of a sudden in this movie you have a fantastical creature, but it's like just yeah. used up and then never mentioned again. Like you never. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess yeah, there, well, there, there, there was the pet. there was the pet who was another Which, fantastical creature. Yeah, not not. Yeah, well, like fantastical enough that it was clearly whispering in Balakaz's right. ear. Was but some then sort of also iguana was or dragon things. Oh, you see, that was the thing that that, that was, was so weird because it was when it's a, when it's shoulder. a puppet, it clearly doesn't have the proportions of a man. But then when it's a hostage, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's like a little dude inside a <laughs> lizard suit. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> for no, it's like what the fuck? <laughs> it doesn't play what? with its own internal logic at no. all. No, it doesn't. All right, so uh, question number three. Yes. Which is about Balkaz. Okay, cool. The great and glorious Balkaz. Yeah. Um, how many Tarnaks does Balkaz pay Kane to lead his men against Zeg? Uh, he pays him 100 Tarnaks. 100 Tarnaks. There's tarnax. a lot of Tarnax slinging going around. Yeah. So I decided to just go with the first instance. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Again, even the name of the currency, I would Tarnak. not... Like, if you if you had asked me if one of the questions was, 
what is the what is the name of the currency in this film? I would not have been able to tell you. Oh, maybe that would have been a better question. Uh, <laughs> something about that also that that also struck me as really weird is like at, at the very beginning when when he's going to Balcaz when Kane is going to Balcaz and and Balcaz is like, "Will you fight for me?" or, or whatever he says, and and uh, uh, Kane is like, "I fight for." The, so the first few times I see this movie, I've seen this movie, I've always thought that he said, "I fight for gold or Tarnax," and it wasn't until this time that I realized he's actually saying "Golden Tarnax." I fight oh. for Golden Tarnax. Yeah, which is like yeah. such a weird. I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, like, yeah. The way you, now I remember now I remember what you're talking about because yeah. yeah, the way he pronounced it, he said gold. Uh, yeah, gold I thought he said gold tarnax. and tarnax. Yeah, so not gold. I was like, what are tarnax? Is that yeah. like the the liquor of the right? World, what is the or, what tarnax uh, is just as precious as gold? Yeah. Or? All that tarnax is not gold. All that tarnax is not gold. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Question number four. four. You're doing great so far. But I have a feeling you're going to do fantastic on this quiz. This quiz is, like, not hard at all. Okay, okay. Well, if, if, I, I appreciate the confidence. I appreciate it. All right, here comes question I'm number here four. here to be supported. Okay. Kane is a holy warrior, also known as what? Ooh. You had to boot, you had to build me up before this one, didn't you? You had to. You had to. It is mentioned several times. It is. It is. And I know it is. I'm sure it is. 100%. He is a a, 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 wait, so he's a holy warrior also known as a, a dark one? Is that what they're referring to? Dark one is the nickname that they give him, but that's not I wasn't, the class of warrior that yeah. he has. not a mercenary i don't i don't know i i have to i have, uh, to, I have to give it up oh okay it's a homerack a homerack a homerack a homerack h-o-m-e-r-a-c i vaguely remember that word being thrown around maybe yeah. once or twice in the film but i honest to god had no recollection of it being applied to him yeah or a descriptor of him mm-hmm. this fucking movie <laughs> this fucking movie this fucking movie is bullshit Okay, yeah. um, here's a, a little piece of trivia to accompany this trivia quiz. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the outfit that uh, Carradine uses at, for his character of Kane is actually the same outfit that he wore for another B-movie, a post-apocalyptic action film called Dune Warriors, uh, which he went on to film in 1991. So it was filmed after this. Okay. And in another rather obvious coincidence... Luke Askew, who plays Zeg, again plays the antagonist in Dune Warriors. Okay. So that's interesting. Two coincidences between these movies yeah. there. But I, d- I did like uh, Zeg and Kane seem to have some good moments together. They were the most established they, actors in yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, Luke, exactly. Luke Askew and David Carradine have the most experience of anyone in that movie. Yeah, exactly. So it, it makes sense that their scenes were the only scenes that had anything interesting. Right. Luke, Luke Askew was like at least like trying to like buy into the campiness a little bit, I felt. Yeah, you know? yeah. He, he, he chewed a little scenery. Mm-hmm. He, you know, just, just a little Because even like Balcaz, even Balcaz was a little too bland for my taste. He could have gone yeah. like way overboard with that, but he didn't. He could have. He should he have. He was playing, trying to play it subtle, and it's just yeah. like, you don't want to play subtlety in this type of movie. Yeah, no. Not at all. Agreed. All right, so here comes question number five. Okay, we're, we're doing okay. This is the hardest question, I think. Okay. But I don't know. You've proven me wrong before. <sighs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Including his sword, how many blades does Kane carry with him? Four. He has the sword and he has three sort of throwy dagger things. The answer is five. Damn it, I missed one. What, what did I miss? So he has the sword. Yeah. And he has a longer dagger in the front ah. and then three throwing daggers okay. around cool. his belt. So I missed I missed the longer one. Yeah. That's what I did. Dang so it. Five, but you, you only missed, you know. By that I much, Mister. By that so, much. So I get four fifths credit. Clearly, <laughs> no, that's not how it works. That's not all right. Well, works. okay. So this was actually a more challenging quiz than I thought it was going to be. But yeah. 
Yeah, that's good. That that's we want good. these to it's be good. challenging. We got to keep me humble a little bit. You know, I've I've been riding high too long. Mm-hmm. I needed I needed a taste of that sweet humble pie. But here comes the bonus question. Okay, let's see if we can win me back a little a little bit of right to brag. All right, the bonus is David Carradine has played a character who is similarly named Kane. In what other property? It could be a movie, it could be a TV show. Where else has David Carradine played a character named Kane? Kane. See, here's the thing. Okay, I'm I'm gonna just <laughs> go with what you know. And I know I only know David Carradine from three things. Mm-hmm. I know him from this film. Okay. I know him from Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. And then I know him. And then I know that he was in a series called Kung Fu. Okay. So I'm going to say that he played Kane in Kung Fu. Did he? He indeed played Kane in Kung Fu. Oh, thank goodness. Popular 1970s TV show. Oh. Actually, one of the most uh, popular and critically acclaimed shows from the 1970s. Yeah. Kane in the Kung Fu. Except so sim- it's similarly named because Kane in this movie is spelled K A I N. But his cane in Kung Fu is spelled C-A-I-N-E. Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Well, do, do you think that his character being named that in this film was meant to be an homage to that? I mean, it's or? hard to say. I, I really don't think that these people were even thinking on that level. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's kind of the thing. Like, I, I feel like, yeah, if, if, there was, if there was even just a little more glimmer of mm-hmm. just, like, enjoyment from any element of this film whatsoever, right. I'd be like, oh, yeah, they're having a little fun with it. They're thrilled Dave Carradine is here. Yeah. They're gonna they're do a little homage. I named this character that, but no, nobody, nobody's thrilled to be here, including David Carradine. Including David he Carradine. He did not he did not. He did not seem to have that much fun with anything going on. This even even his performance again. He's like um, he's among the two best actors in this thing, and and that's not saying a lot. And that's not saying a lot. And <laughs> and yeah, even he had delivered a quite one note performance. Oh yeah, very so, much so. There you go. And going back to what we meant, what I mentioned at the beginning, where he's he's trying to go for that Clint Eastwood esque performance of like the, a man without a name and there's a lot of, of this movie obviously that rips off of um fistful of dollars as well as yojimbo yeah uh but but there really wasn't like any air of mystery around him it just seemed like he was so bland like at least clint is clint clint eastwood has an air of mystery and mystique around the character and this is a guy who's supposed to be a holy warrior but i didn't really Get, I didn't really get that from the performance that he was a holy warrior. Well, that's the thing, because, cause, yeah, if you're going to go with that for a backstory, then it means that you either... It means that either he still has the faith and in this world that has forsaken mm-hmm. everything about the times that were, he wants to keep the light alive. Right. Or it lost has, his faith. Or, or, or the flip side of it can be if he was a former holy right. warrior that he's lost it. Yeah, exactly. And so, and then the arc can be him like rediscovering. Exactly. It. it has to, yeah. So like if, if you're going to, if you're going to put that on the table, then, then yeah, you have to at least push the character in one of those two directions, but he kind of really go anywhere. Yeah. He, they don't go anywhere with it. He just kind of, he shows up and, you know, he proves himself opportunistic. And and actually also, I mean, like, he, he definitely has a bit of a, a Mary Sue thing going on in this. Yeah. Like, just in terms of, yeah, that his character kind of is always one step ahead mm-hmm. and really never has a moment of making any kind of mistake. Like, he gets he gets injured yeah, he at one point. he does get captured, I guess. He does get captured point. at one point. But, like, even then, like, he, you know, he escapes pulls fairly off. easily. He, yeah, he escapes so easily, he literally crawls through his entire right. escape. He's yeah. so badly wounded, but clearly also so overpowered that that's not a problem. None of it matters. <laughs> nothing matters. Anymore. No, nothing mattered. All right. Well, that was the trivia. You did pretty pretty okay for yourself. I mean, it wasn't a total collapse. So no, you have no, some bragging rights. Uh, yeah, I got I got a little bodied there, so uh, I'll have to I'll have to go and lick my wounds. Let's go into our GSV segments. The yes. first of which is shots, 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 shots. 
We're talking about the gratuitous violence in this yeah. movie, of which there is a lot. There is, yeah. The tough, there, tough to keep track of the There's body too count. many killings to actually give you like an exact number. Yeah. But let's talk it. about maybe what, what, what were also, some. <laughs> oh, sorry. You, you go ahead. I was going to say, like, what were some of the more memorable deaths in this movie <laughs> or violence? In well, this movie? well, I want to start off by giving a shout out to, uh, again, just how little care went into this thing that so many that so many people got whacked by sword in yeah. this that you just there's no attempt to you know work the camera angles or work the choreography slow motion whack too uh, but just yeah the sword just keeps traveling slowly and then it slaps the guy in the back and then he falls over dead yeah. because he was clearly slashed and right. not Hitting a little you're, bit. You're not helping it out with any kinetic camera movement whatsoever. Yeah. Which is what you're supposed to do. <laughs> exactly. Or, or at least get like an angle that doesn't make it obvious that the sword just bounced right. off a guy's belly. Right. Um, so so there's that. Um, I have to say it, it, it might have a little bit of overlap with the next two sections, but uh, the the... The drowning sequence was pretty... Pretty gratuitous. Pretty brutal, yeah. Like all I around was, gratuitous. Yeah. yeah, all around gratuitous. Yeah, I was a little I was a little taken aback by, by... I was a little taken aback by kind of just the kind of... Yeah, just like how cruel that was. Well, I think, like I think just, that, you know, it's the kind of thing where it's meant to establish, I guess, uh, how evil Zeg is, but, yeah. but there's no reason behind there's there are no stakes behind it yeah if it was maybe like someone that kane had encountered before that he had a connection of some sort with and then kane's now like watching this person drown then it would have like meant something more it would have had an emotional pull but it just it was just like some random extra that they threw into a vat of water completely naked yeah um and then and then just just just, drowned her just drowned her yeah it was just yeah, the, yeah, that that one kind of sticks out to me, and 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 the conversation between uh, Kane and Zeg was mm-hmm. was again like I I think that scene was kind of was kind of like the most interesting mm-hmm. acting moment that I saw in the film. Um, so, yeah, because so, they're yeah, actually I th- I philosophizing think, a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Them. Yeah, have it was like the one moment where the film sort of was like, yeah, we'll, we'll try to be about a bigger yeah. idea. Yeah. And, um, but, but that's the only, the only time where the film has like even a hint of ambition. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that, that was what kind of a uh, suck out for me. And what, what did you, what, what, what would you say was like most memorable for you about this movie? Cause you're more familiar with it, obviously too. Most, so. Well, I mean, nothing is really memorable about this movie. Let's just, uh, well, let's that's, put the, you that's know, also hard a challenge. That's why I'm, there's I'm, also I'm like, the, you. I feel like the movie is missing like a very important death and it's the, the creature, the balls, Balsack's creature. Like we, what happens to it? It just disappears by the end of the movie. Never comes back. Yeah, it does. They yeah they they go through a lot of a lot of hullabaloo over its being captured and having to be traded for, and then yeah, it just yeah yeah it and disappears just off. And yeah. I kind of I kind of wanted it to like meet its de- doom in some way. Like I kind of wanted it like to maybe like come into the fracas when when they kill Balsack. Like it's maybe it's like crying for its master, and then it gets like slaughtered in some way. Yeah, I feel yeah. Like, I feel kind of like I that. feel incomplete. Yeah, yeah. A moment like that would have would have yeah given it a little juice. I agree with that. Also, I, re- I I can think about the all the slavers getting killed by drinking poisoned water and how they all like just drop dead at the same time. <laughs> and the only person that didn't drink, drink the water, water was the slave master. Yeah, because you know he's too badass for all that. Burgo, Burgo the slaver. I wasn't sure if he was Burgo or Virgo. Virgo, um, yeah, Burgo. Yeah, I have to say, like the quality of violence in this film, yeah, was definitely pretty low. Just both from the bouncing swords and also from just like the slowness of the movements. Mm-hmm. Um, David Carradine was not kicking very high. There were quite a few just sort of like low, almost nudges that yeah. he did with his heel yeah. at an enemy that was meant to be. 
you know, him kicking their Yeah, their the, shit. it wasn't choreographed very well no. um, or staged very well. No. And then the camera angles and, and just like the shots in general were very uninspired. And just yeah. there was like, I feel like there was some at least some cool lighting in some of the shots and some of the, you know, with the fire, the torches. Like, like I remember like the doorway, some of the doorway fight when he's first freeing Naja. And, and in that cell, there's like the blue light cast from the outside and then when the door in the doorway there's an orange light coming from there and that contrast is pretty cool yeah that was nice but um but apart from that there's really like no imagination in any of the staging of the action whatsoever yeah. it's it's kind of crazy yeah agreed um want to talk to you a little bit more about uh, david carradine because you were you were just talking about his fighting style and and he actually designed a lot of the fighting style because they brought him in this movie a movie like this you know it's such a low budget movie they don't really have like things like 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 you know fighting um coordinators choreographers or or anything like that and and since david carradine is a mar or was a martial arts expert he actually designed a lot of the fighting himself at least like his own fighting Hmm. i know it's kind of weird yeah Oh yeah, it's it's yeah, it's interesting to hear that descriptor again because I haven't seen kung fu myself, but I I found myself a little taken aback. Like, wait, this guy. Well, even in Kill Bill, I think that he shows like a little more flair in his. uh, Even though he only uses it like a couple of times, but yeah, once or twice, yeah, he he does get a little bit into it, Uh, but not that much really. Yeah, there's never really like a a serious fight sequence Mm -hmm. for him in Kill Bill. Um, That's true. Um, just like the one I think at the table is what I can think of. With yeah, the, exactly. With the yeah, there was that sequence, which again, like you know, he he has the physical specificity in those moments. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it's crazy, and uh, and also I don't know if you noticed that he was wearing like one glove the whole time. Yeah, he had like that that kind of gauntlet on his right hand. So there's um, a story behind that. There is. Yeah. Well, uh, boy, it sure would have been nice <laughs> of the movie to let me know about that. Well, maybe not. I don't know. It's a pre. It's a it's a behind the scenes kind of story. Okay, that's fair. Uh, before production started, uh, David Carradine and his girlfriend had an argument. Okay. And David Carradine actually punched the wall and fractured his right hand. Really? So to conceal the plaster that they were using in the hand, he uses the pointed black glove. Uh, while filming, uh, in in his memoirs, he says that he broke his hand three days into filming, but he doesn't say how. He doesn't mention that it was punching a wall. But oh, uh, yeah. interesting, yeah. So it was out of necessity. He uh, maybe that was all, maybe that explains why the fighting isn't as involved. Yeah, because he had yeah, like a that, broken or a fractured right. Yeah, hand. That, that does that does actually explain it a little more, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, if he if yeah, if you did have broken bones cuz like even even if it is just his hand, like right. that does mean that he has to he has to limit his movement as well cuz any any abrupt movement's gonna gonna jolt your hand a bit as well, I would imagine. So um yeah, he probably couldn't he probably couldn't get too deep into it. Um yeah, it's interesting he left that detail that it was specifically punching a wall during a fight with his girlfriend. Yeah, so th- there is a lot of like gratuitous violence, but it's not over the top. But that's like weird to say because it is over the top, but it's not. It's not memorable in any way. None of the violence sticks out as particularly gory or anything like that. There's what? just like a lot of it. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, there's just like there's a lot of fighting, uh, but but and and it's and and again uh, the the lack of the lack of attention to it, the lack of investment in it means that even though it's it's clearly meant to be a brutal world, it's you know like it it, it, it I kept being reminded of Mad Max, oddly enough. Yeah, like there's it, a it lot kinda, of yeah. It kind of has that, uh, uh, even though it is kind of a fantasy world it, mm-hmm. it also does have a, a lot of similarities with that especially kind of, road warrior yeah yeah it kind of has that like you know that just sort of like heightened feel it's got like you know the sort of weird quirky warlords right. and um they all have these and there are all these people with these weird disfigurements and mm-hmm. stuff like that um so you know but this is not very stylized but though. yeah that's the thing like yeah they're they they clearly don't ever really cohere into a sort of yeah into like a unified style uh but 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 yeah it's like it's like it's it's meant to be a very brutal world uh but you need to invest in 
making the violence pop in order to make it make it pop in, in pop. order to in order to bring it home to your audience that it's it's a violent world which and of the two warlords like stuck out the most for you obviously i think the movie pays more attention to zeg yeah a little bit and and so yeah and i think zeg is kind of the one who makes the bigger impression for me because you only really get to see bal's balcaz balcaz's sanctum mm-hmm. in like the first quarter of the movie which is kind of weird right like if you're gonna have a movie about pitting rival factions against each other why not spend equal time with them yeah exactly it it was clear that the film favored zig oh yeah more and that he he seemed to be the more capable of the two of them and i think they were not they were not an even match as far as i could see because balkaz didn't have control of the well first of all yeah he didn't have control of the well and also he was very clearly more of a coward and Right. More, more trepidatious. I guess you could say mm-hmm. he was kind of styled after, like a, I guess, like a like a Roman emperor or something too, with like his uh, costume design. And, yeah, a little bit with the costume design, and then him being how he was, how the people being were fed grapes, right? Fed grapes and, 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 and carried around. Carried around. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I, yeah, whereas Zag's like more medieval, right? I kind of wish that we had spent more time with Balkaz and I, and I think like that was also something that was kind of missing was the intrigue of why do these warring factions exist apart from the well? It can't all be the well, like, you know, it it can't be like, oh, there's a well, let's form two rival factions. It has to be like a reason behind why they exist, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I didn't really no get that, you know, like yeah. why, why are, are Zeg's men the way they are? Why is that society that way? And why is Balkaz's society like a different way, you yeah. know? And also why does Balkaz send two very off-putting, chuckly guys whenever he summons somebody? Mm-hmm. Why is, why is that your chosen method of getting me into your inner sanctum? Cause I'll tell you what, I would not have said yes to that invitation. Those two characters, it's, we're never introduced to what they are in the movie, yeah, but, but there's no explanation. But in the credits, they're credited as the fools. So they are like the jesters of the of Balkaz's court. I was wondering if that was what they were supposed mm-hmm. to be. And 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 clearly, yes, that is what they were supposed yeah. to be. But again, the movie does not help us out. It doesn't with help that us all in at any all. way. And there's no just, depth to them either, because yeah. they again, we see them twice when they summon Cain. And then uh, when they go um, after the the slavers kill themselves and they're just like rifling through the slaver stuff. Yeah. But then we never really see them again or not not in a memorable way, maybe like once in the battle or something. But yeah, I didn't see you know, it's like, yeah, they just yeah, they don't. They don't pop. They don't, they don't feature don't, in any shape or form anymore. Yeah, there's no, there's again, it's it's one of those things where there's just there's no payoff. There's very little payoff. Very little payoff at all. Like there, like there, there are some things. There are some things there that like could be interesting if they were fleshed out a little more or or given some sort of significance in the story. But they don't, they don't do anything with it. Yeah, the yeah. only the only thing that seems to have like any real interest for the filmmaker is the nudity. So that leads us to our next segment, which is called Boob Tube. And my goodness, this was very much a boob tube. Very much, yeah. lots of nudity, lots in this of movie. boobs. Like I very gratuitous. I don't. I don't think there was a single. Maybe one or two female characters who don't ever actually show their breasts. I think there are female characters who, right, they're covered and then inexplicably they lose the coverage. coverage, yeah. Yeah. It's Um, really weird. Including like that bizarre shot. Well, and we'll get to like you know obviously the main thing here in a second, but uh, that bizarre shot of of Kane being bathed by the naked women, which served no purpose to the story, it was just like inserted, and it's it's just like a thirty second shot, and yeah. it's just inserted between like two other scenes, yeah, but it doesn't and, really serve any purpose. Yeah, and and one of them kisses him, and that's like yeah. it, right? Like that's all that happens. Yeah, that's that's the that's the most intrigue we get from Balcaz's. <laughs> yeah thing yeah um yeah that's the other thing too is that like the, on the one hand there's a lot of nudity strewn about this film uh and and yet like not 
really a lot of sex though like oh yeah no, there's no sex like yeah it's actually a very sexless very movie austere. in a way other than like other than like you know the fact that i don't know yeah there's just yeah there's no reference to yeah. sex there's no i mean again a lot of these women it's clear that they're slaves so it can be implied that maybe they're meant to be like pleasure slaves right and, what but not. we don't see that but, at all. But yeah, we don't ever. Yeah, they never even like hint at that. Or we see a lot of like mistreatment that. of women. Though. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of mistreatment. Um, which again, we'll we'll definitely cover. And, and the male and the male gaze doesn't just apply to the women. It also applies to Keith. Yeah, I feel like Keith was also a character. He was the only male character who I feel like was kind of ogled at his body like he he was Wait, always he was the captain of the guard he was the Zed, captain right? of the guard for Zed. yeah yeah he, he was just, always topless and yeah just he like, was well perfectly actually, tanned and oiled up well and actually i was kind of um i was uh thrown off a bit that um the the cover for the film that's shown on uh-huh. amazon shows i i think it's it is david carradine on that cover right, right? the it, warrior but, yeah. like but he's all like you know his chest is exposed and he is wearing he, this like right. very skimpy thing which he doesn't wear in the movie which he at doesn't all. wear in the movie at all he, he doesn't, doesn't reveal himself at all yeah, in the movie. no he's just wearing that weird uh, except for leg though david carradine does oh show yeah he some shows leg. some leg lots of quite thigh. a bit of leg so, so <laughs> carradine good for thigh. Him. He, he's been he's been doing well for himself it those pasty nice. white thighs yeah oh yeah <laughs> you know those pasty white thighs like you get from walking in the desert right. for days on yeah, end. Exactly. Yeah, those pasty white thighs <laughs> that I always get when I'm out in the desert. He needed sure. to use them for kicking too. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the muscles are atrophied because he's right. not kicking he's high enough. Kicking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Naja, the sorceress. Yes, is the main female character in this movie. In and fact, that's saying nothing. A, a lot, right? No. <laughs> In fact, the movie is called The Warrior and the Sorceress. Yeah, so she's supposed to be important. Yeah. And she is, but she's important in the sense that she's basically kind of... Um, she's She is the means to... To acquire the MacGuffin. She is the MacGuffin. Slash the MacGuffin. Right. Yeah, it was all, almost what I was going to say, yeah. too. Like, she is kind of the MacGuffin of the film. And yeah. That's... Yeah, and um yeah, there's there's just not much else there. It's right. you know, it seems like again there 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 is some dialogue between her and Kane about you know, the the ways of the past or whatever. Right. But we never but, get I would have but, liked to, you know, get a little more world building in that. Yeah. Like, and the thing is I remember them talking about it, but again, it's all just so uninteresting and yeah. so uninspired that like I just I can't even like I, I feel like maybe there were important details mm-hmm. in those conversations that I'm missing. Like, but there's a scene um, when Naja says, uh, "Like at one time I would have commanded you," and then uh, Kane says, "At one time I would have listened." Yeah, or he I, says, "I would have obeyed." I, I would think, have obeyed. Right? Yeah, yeah, I would have obeyed. That's what he says. Um, which that's kind of hinting at that depth, but you never yeah. really get into it. Like what, like what happened? Why not? Like obviously like her and the prelate had a relationship and you even asked me during it if he, if he was the father, but I think, well, it, I, th- yeah, I think it was I, more of a, like the prelate obviously is like the priest of the temple and she's the sorceress of the temple. So yeah. it's that, it was kind of like that type of relationship, yeah. like a religious side of thing. But but you never got that explained either at all. Like, yeah. well, you know, what's the purpose? Why does this village have a temple? Like, why is there a prelate? Where did the sorceress come from? Is she important beyond this village? Like, was she stolen from some other place? Like, yeah. You know, what's the story there? Why is she being kept prisoner? And and why does Zeg want this sword so much? You know, we don't. All these questions don't have really a lot of answers no. in this movie. No, they just don't. <laughs> It's just all there. It just all sits there. And, and and it doesn't even inspire the curiosity. Like that's the thing. They don't even they don't even find a way to just like, you know, mm-hmm. tease a little something for the audience to hold on to that Yeah. Like it just yeah, it's like, yeah, there are a lot of mysteries here and I, I somehow don't care. I don't think that Maria Sokas, uh she's an Argentinian actress, by the way. Yeah. I don't think that she is necessarily a bad actress. I just feel like she wasn't given a lot to work with. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, she, yeah, she, she, it was definitely 
shortchanged. Like in there's terms like of little little writing. there's little moments in this movie where you kind of get like a glimpse of what could have been, I guess, like in a better production or in more capable hands. Like yeah, when they're forging the sword and she's just looking at it and then. Uh, she, I guess she's like reciting the incantation in her mind and we hear it yeah. like that's a nice little like mini log there that's that seems very much in in that f- sword and sorcery world that fantasy low low fantasy world um, and I just wish that the movie had more of that because it feels like the movie is just a, a bargain bin version of a fantasy movie yeah. <laughs> you know yeah um, I want to read you something that David Carradine said and I quote, he said that the director was obsessed by the body of the actress who played the priestess. So he costumed her in a topless outfit. Everywhere you looked, there was this bare breasted woman. There really was no reason behind it, apparently, other than the director just wanted to see boobs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that much was pretty clear. And I think that that kind of hurts it, too, because one thing that I was thinking about when we were watching it just now, I thought about The Witcher, which I know that you and I have both seen. Yeah. And I thoroughly enjoyed The Witcher, which is now on Netflix for those of you who, you know, haven't seen it. It's great. And yeah, it's worth watching. It's a fantasy show yeah. and it's definitely a campy, like B, B type fantasy show, but yeah. but it has a lot of fun and it's very well made, very yeah. well done. Like 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 Game of Thrones production values for Xena Warrior Princess. Right. That's like what exactly. you would expect. So I was thinking about it because it is like this type of level, like B fantasy property. It's just like very well produced and accomplished. And one of the things that I was thinking about was Yennefer's character in The Witcher, who we do see a lot of her nudity in The Witcher, but it's always... Uh, it comes, it's born from the story, from the plot. It's not just like her, you know, revealing herself just to be yeah. eye candy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. There's well, always yeah, like a very specific they, purpose well, behind and, it. And because they, they took the time to develop her character. Right. And we know a lot about her when she gets to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, like she, she uses her sexuality in a... And it, it, she has agency in the way she uses her sexuality. Yeah. Very Whereas much so. in this kind of movie, the sorceress is literally just decoration. Yeah. Yeah, and and more than that too, like you know, she just yeah, she just has agency, which which this sorceress Doesn't. in this film has absolutely none. Right. Um. Yeah. Even even when yeah. she's free, she's all dependent on Cain. Cain is. Yeah, he pretty much is like, go hide with the prelate. Right. And that's it. She just goes hide with the prelate. Also, I thought he freed her at one point, but then somehow she ended up in Balkaz. Balkaz somehow captured her, even though he says to her, go with the prelate that time also. Yeah. And we never see how but that she happened. Just, yeah. We well, get no and, answers oh, there well, either. Oh, and that's the other thing that drove me fucking crazy about <laughs> this movie, was that there were just, there were multiple instances of just like, it, it looked like something got skipped or cut. Like, oh, yeah, the editing like a, was horrible. Yeah, just like really abhorrent, skippy editing. Like, yeah. again, we were talking about how bad the editing was for King Solomon's Minds. There's but, nothing on this. But, yeah, nothing on this. This was just... This was just... Bad. This was just completely bad. Sorry. Sorry um, another too. memorable moment of gratuitous nudity was the exotic dancer with the four breasts. Yes. Yes. Who who somehow incapacitated Kane with something coming out of her. Yeah, yeah, that was just so perplexing. I mean, I knew it was coming because obviously we knew that. Right, Zeg it was set was up that way. To, was going to going to pull some shit. And in that that's a rare moment in the movie where the nudity actually serves a purpose with the story. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> that it's clear that he's yeah, he's being lured in. Mm-hmm. Um and also it's like one of the few moments that there's tension in the film right. that like you know that you know that uh Zeg is aware mm-hmm. that he's he's up to some shit yeah. and he's waiting for it. And to- and so yeah, it's it's one of the few moments where you are actually curious about like oh okay so what's this what's this plot gonna be mm-hmm. how is he gonna try to kill him how's how is she fitting into that right. and and how is he gonna get out of it um 
So yeah, it doesn't last because then perplexingly some weird thing shoots out of her body what and was we don't that? know where. It was some I, sort of like tentacle thing, I yeah, think. Yeah, it looked yeah, or, or like a it was like a spooner. I don't know what it was. I don't like, know what it was. Something yeah. shut out of her somehow, somewhere. Yeah. Because uh, she didn't have any pockets or anything. She didn't no, she did not. <laughs> she was she was pretty close to naked there. So, yeah. um, so I don't know where that came from, but yeah. it did enough damage. And then I was like, well, what exactly did it do? Because we don't see like he he uh, asphyxiates her, um, and then the next collapses on top of collapses, her, and then and he's... then the next scene he's being beat up, but he's conscious. So was that? supposed to make like knock him out or i don't i thought it was stabbed i thought whatever it was she had stabbed him and then and then then that's it and then he strangled her but again just enough to make him no help to be captured i guess i don't yeah yeah. again no help from the filmmakers to make any of that clear so yeah it's really weird um there is an interesting piece of trivia attached to the four-breasted dancer okay and that is that unlike other bigger budget movies, uh, you mentioned Total Recall, which has a, a three-breasted dancer, or not a dancer, but a lady yeah. in the bar. Um, or uh, That was in, made in 1990. That's a Paul Verhoeven movie. Yeah. Um, and also uh, Good Luck Chuck um, also features a woman with multiple breasts. This movie actually, uh, as opposed to those movies... Features a woman with anatomically correct multiple breasts. Because it, in the case of multiple breasts, which sometimes does happen. Okay. You know, if you have a mutation, there are sometimes you are born with multiple breasts. Yeah. But more, more, they, than, more than two. Yeah. More than two. Yeah. Uh, for guys, too. You know, you get an extra nipple every once yeah. in a while. Um, but it only ever happens along the mam- mammalian lines. Okay. There's two arcs along the torso from the genitals to the forelegs or the armpits in the humans on which the teats of all animals or mammals, I should say, occur. So, okay, yeah, that, that's right. Because I'm thinking of like, you know, a, a, a female dog, for right. instance. Like, you've got like rows. you got rows. Yeah. And um, any number of teats may form on any species, but the typical amount is twice the usual litter size, which in humans is... One. That's why we usually get two. Oh. But that doesn't mean that, you know, we're just limited to two. If you have a mutation, you could foreseeably have three or four breasts. But they would be But they would be lined up. Uh, Whereas in the other two instances of Total Recall, they happen on a horizontal line. There are three breasts right next to each other. Yeah. But that would never happen naturally. That is fascinating. That is that is genuinely fascinating. That is a literal fun fact. Yeah. I'm actually really fascinated by that. Um, so whoever did the research for that oh, nailed it. <laughs> the, 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 all of the attention that should have been paid to, to you the know, entire movie. The entire film was invested in making sure that we get this woman with the mutated breast right. situation perfect yeah um, he was like nah dog this gotta be real oh i i do appreciate that good good uh good work there good dramaturgy there <laughs> so we already mentioned the the woman who who was drowned and i feel like that was also in, in addition to being a gratuitously um violent moment there was no reason really for her to be naked in that yeah i mean also. it was cl- yeah i mean uh yeah, and and again, this is it's one of those things where I think it really does kind of hit all three categories in a way. I don't want to jump the gun too much, but like, yeah, it's clear that you know she she is there solely for the purpose of Zeg's pleasure, mm-hmm. and uh, for him, he's like, oh yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see this naked chick die in a you know by drowning right in front of me. He even and says it's stimulating. Exactly. Yeah, and it's. Yeah, but you're it's, right. That kind of bridges the gap to our next segment. So let's go right into it, which is called "That's Problematic." problematic. Uh, what wasn't problematic in this movie? Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah, women were literally objects in yeah. this film. Um, yeah, and that was. Just, I mean, even like the villagers, I felt like there were mostly guys i like where where were the actual yeah. women in this movie yeah 
Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. The only women in this film were literally pleasure slaves yeah. or right. the hostage. Yeah, who was the sorceress? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you don't you don't ever see like another female character who is outside of that context. They mm-hmm. are all just specifically there to be attractive and naked. Um, there there was yeah there was there was like one one of uh, Balcaz's uh, slaves who was watching David Carradine was older. It looked like older and and. Um, but, but yeah, other than that's that, that's true. Bo- body positivity. The movie actually yeah. did score some points in that regard. I suppose. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm true. just kidding. Yeah. But yes, I'm just reaching for whatever at this point. Yeah. We really are reaching for whatever. <laughs> there um, was, there was one older naked slave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pleasuring David Carradine. Yeah. So there is that. But, um, um, but yeah, beyond that, they all, the, all the women in the film. Yeah. And I guess, I guess, yeah, it, it's probably reductive of me to say, yeah, they're all just meant to be attractive, obviously. But but like, yeah, they all kind of are are you know skinny, conventionally right. attractive women is, mm-hmm. is is the right way to put it. And um, yeah, yeah, no no other female context at all in this film. No, um, I want to talk about the slavers because I, I feel like that good. was all that that was coded in a way that was problematic to me because I feel like so there there are no people of color in this movie. No. Uh, and the only time that we get like a group of people that is kind of coded as a different race. Yeah. Are the slavers. Yeah. They, they all have a darker skin tone, which mm-hmm. that's a thing like uh, one. And also again, there, there's, you know, another instance of just ineffective filmmaking where like the first shots we have when the slaver faction mm-hmm. is introduced, um, it's like at, nighttime yeah, and, and 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 they only very poorly do, lit yes yeah and it's and it's all wide shots yeah. so oh so, yeah so they intro so they introduce there are hardly any close-ups in this movie actually yeah yeah there's a lot yeah it's re- yeah really, really hardly any close-ups at all but so like they introduce this whole new faction they introduce this you know leader and they make a point Virgo. saying oh yes he is the he is the worst of them all mm-hmm. and yet we never actually see a close-up of right. his face but again all we have are these wide shots so we don't even see necessarily Necessarily, because the slavers all have this kind of uh, physical deformity, mm-hmm. or or just, or maybe they're just like of another species or something like. Yeah, that. I think they're of another species, but they definitely but, look but, like but they, lepers. But, but but that's the thing, and and it's like, and also from those wide shots, they do look dark skinned. Right, is the other thing that 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 I would say, yeah, definitely contributes to that coding. Yeah, of them being very this clearly kind coded of foreign. Uh, yeah, being this, yeah, this this kind of foreign entity, mm-hmm. and they are the slavers, right? Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. There's definitely the the implication was definitely pretty heavy. That yeah, they were meant to be people of color, and mm-hmm. they they their sole purpose was to to be slavers. Mm-hmm. And Burgo um, is like you even caught. I mean, there's not a lot of subtlety in this movie, but you even caught this like after you're first introduced to him that he is being set up to be like the big boss. You know, he's like the main yeah. bad guy that. It's supposed to like swooping swoop in at the end when you're like, oh, we dealt with the bad guys. Oh, wait, no, there's this other bad guy that we forgot about, except that in this movie, you don't forget about him because there's no subtlety whatsoever. Yeah. You're like, OK, let's just get this over there with when's Burger going to come back. But, and and um, even then, it's not even at all exciting. It's not exciting it's because, like, oh. because he's given no depth whatsoever, I think. Like, yeah. I feel like why why couldn't we get some scenes of Burgo? In with his men, you know, like learning a little bit more about him, about his history. Like, what what is the deal with these slavers? Where do they come from? Yeah. Um, even uh, David Carradine's character, uh, Kane, he even says that whenever you see uh, Burgo, you know that another village has fallen. Which see, those are the types of lines that, like, as for me as a writer and, and as a lover of stories, like those those intrigue me. I'm like, okay, I want to know. I completely missed that line too, and that's like that. That is a very interesting way yeah. to introduce him. Like, yeah, I want to. I want to know more about that. Like, why in this planet? So he just goes around conquering villages and turning people into slaves. Like that's like yeah. you know what? What's the story behind all of that? You know, like what? How does he fit, fit into the ecosystem that is the planet Ur? You yeah. know, um, but we don't get any of that. <laughs> There's just nothing there. Well, I mean, I guess you could say that the, the treatment of the folds was also problematic in a way because they're not giving any depth either. And I guess they're supposed to be like some sort of disabled something going on there. I, yeah, I just I, I was just puzzled by that. It yeah. was just like they just 
They're just there, and they're very present when they're there, but, uh, with the weird cackling noise that they keep making, and... Yeah, they look like like weird like like bird people. Yeah, or something. a little bit. Yeah, it, it it that that aspect of it kind of reminded me of the weird sort of stylizing of uh, the. Uh, uh, you remember in the movie Three Hundred mm-hmm. um, when yeah. when uh, when you're in uh, when you're in Xerxes's uh, inner sanctum mm-hmm. and you see like all the different people who have these kind of weird, highly stylized right. uh, sort of like you know physical deformities. Right. Um, it it kind of reminded me of that a little bit again of kind of like this intermixing of like this sort of otherish. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they they hail from outside lands and they're all full of these weird deformities that you've never even heard of or seen before. It's, yeah, and this where kind of like yeah, exotic, exotic, exotic. exotic. And Balcaz's yeah. camp was definitely the more exotic of the two. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I feel like. Uh, I guess you could say that he was kind of like a Xerxes type character. A little bit, yeah. Except that we didn't really get like any depth to him again. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, who, I who, mean, who'd have thought we'd be comparing this to Three Hundred <laughs> in terms of uh, the the favorable depth that Three Hundred brought to the table? Huh. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's that's another episode for another day. That is another episode for another day. Oh Lord. Um, I want to just, be, before we end the, the discussion, I want to talk a little bit about something that David Carradine said again. He, he yeah. said that he liked the movie yeah, because of its sword play and the fighting style that he helped design. He says, don't expect a great movie because the director quit during editing after a fight with Roger Corman. Roger Corman was the producer of this movie. And uh, he had gone two weeks over schedule, so they had a fight about that. And uh, he quit meaning that the editing was finished by two teams in two different countries. So Carradine says, it's a little uneven. (laughs) Do you agree? Aptly (laughs) aptly put, aptly put, Mr. Carradine, to say that the film uh, was a a touch askew, you might say. A little uneven. Oh, well, that... that (laughs) That, that accounts for some of it, I guess. That the the really poor, like yeah, again, because like like the very last shot of the movie of him like gathering his bag at right. the well mm-hmm. and saying his goodbyes to which again is framed in a wide shot. Like which why? yeah, it's all in a wide shot. There's why no... not do any medium or close ups for that? Yeah, yeah. Like where was the coverage? Like why did they not? Why did they not have like just any close up coverages for them to like you know. Get no a budget, read on what that final moment was, right. but like they really just they didn't have that. They did not have that to offer, and yeah, I'm the, learning so much about the art of filmmaking. Yeah, I mean that's what I think too. I think that you learn a lot about how to make good movies by watching bad movies because you yeah. learn like the mistakes that they did, and you learn like not to make them. Yeah, you know? and and because you know a good movie is you know it, it's a lot of the the good work is invisible. Is, right, is the thing. Yeah, yeah. It takes a it takes a team of like competent people, and it takes a singular vision to like carry them through the finish line. In a movie like this, you you can obviously tell that there's a lack of vision. The only vision the director had apparently was let's show some boobs. That's the yeah. only thing he was going yeah. for. So we're coming down to the end of our discussion today for the Warrior and the Sorceress. Yeah. So final thoughts, Ned. The Warrior and the Sorceress. Is it a bad movie? So-so movie? Good movie? Great movie? What do you think? Where do you fall? Oh, it's greatly bad. <laughs> it's greatly bad. It's pretty... Uh, you know, yeah, the, I think you've got to... <laughs> It's it 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 it, uh, it's, it commits the greatest crime, which is that it just it left me feeling indifferent in a way. Mm. Like that's the thing. It just it wasn't. It it didn't make me feel outrageous. It didn't you know. It didn't do anything with any level of commitment. Really, um, it just kind of was clearly low budget and didn't didn't. Yeah, it just it didn't it didn't offer me anything. It didn't it didn't it didn't give me a reason to stay invested. And I don't want it to seem like we think that low budget necessarily means low quality. No, because no, obviously I mean, there's I mean, a ton of, of movies. Well, well like think of the fucking, Evil Dead movies, for example, or, or, or fucking Primer. You know, like that movie was right. made on a budget of literally nine thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and it's the most one of the most suspenseful 
like intriguing, just like bonkers, bonkers bizarre, movies yeah. uh, ever. Yeah. So so yeah, no, I'm Blair not, Witch I'm, Project. Yeah, exactly. I so mean, so yeah, I'm not. Uh, yeah, yeah. This this isn't me. Yeah, this is definitely not me decrying low budget. It's just I think it, it it's. It is that there was a lack of investment yeah, in lack of imagination. Yeah, yeah, a lack of one and just like a lack of investment in the kind of detail mm-hmm. to to like actually give the audience a story that right. they want to follow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how about you? Like how? Like what? What? Uh, yeah. What? Are, what are your thoughts on this? This movie? was the third time I've seen this movie, and I watched it to research the movie before we watched it. And this is like the first time so far in this podcast that I was not excited to see it again, to watch yeah. a movie again. Man. Because when I watched it in, in preparation for the recording, I was just reminded just like how bad it was. I'd seen it once before, a long time ago. Yeah. And I, I, I guess I wasn't ready for how... It, it's it's such a short movie, but it feels like it goes on for forever, you know. And you're like, why? When is this gonna stop? You know? Yeah, it really drags. It really drags. So I would definitely put this in a bad movie category, and it's not even the kind of bad movie that I, I usually love watching bad movies. You know, I'm, I, I love camping movies, but this is not even a bad movie that that I like. I find it hard to recommend it. The only thing that I will say about this movie that I think it's actually worthwhile is if you view it uh, in the lens of comparison and you want to like see how it stacks up to uh, Yojimbo and Fistful of Dollars like I can I can see like if I had a a movie theater like in my own private cinema I would have a triple feature and I would show uh, Fistful of Dollars followed by this one and then finish off the night with Yojimbo and uh, just you know, just yeah. have have people come and 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 watch the same movie three times, but you have like a, a a really really strong example of it and a terrible example of it, and then you end with like a masterpiece example of it. Yeah. So that's the only that. that's the only way that I would find any value in watching this movie again. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> I 100 feel that. Absolutely. All right. Well, despite the fact that we watched a bad movie, it's still a lot of fun talking about it, discussing it. Absolutely. Thank you for watching Warrior and the Sorcerers with me, Ned. Thank you for showing Warrior and the Sorcerers (laughs) to me, Orlando. Whoa, whoa. You don't have to thank me, but I appreciate it. Uh, Always gratitude. Always gratitude. Well, uh, that takes us to the end of another exciting episode. And um, you guys out there, we hope that you join us next time for another episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence. Until then... Go forth and watch some movies. Bye! I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Bring the very best part.